In this week's episode, all our books are taking on a very similar theme. What's real and what's all a fabrication? Can you uncover the truth? It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. I hope everybody had a good week. Yes. Hope we everybody are everybody is living large. We are approaching the holidays. So to me, I hope you're taking this as an easy December. For all of you people who work a corporate job, take a minute. When you send that email, is this a December task or a January task? Or for those of you out there that had a week like mine, wherein both your phone and computer broke this week, (laughs) I just hope you're sane. (laughs) Staying off the sauce. Yeah. Try real hard. It was a fun week for me. Anyway, comics happened <laughs> this week, which was nice. So let's talk about them. Yeah, comics. Uh, first of all, we have Odin's Eye, number one. This is from Bad Idea. Boo. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, <laughs> this was written by Joshua Dicehart with art by Thomas Giorello. Uh, this is a... An epic set in the Norse world uh, during a period of time. There's a period of time in early man where a uh, the world exceptionally cooled. Yes. Uh, and winter went exceptionally longer than it normally did. Uh, it was kind of like a little mini ice age kind of thing. They said it was um, theoretically because of like a volcano yeah, erupted in the southern hemisphere. Volcano that erupted somewhere in the tropical zones that caused rapid cooling of the world. Uh, anyway, this takes place during that. We follow a young Viking woman, Norse woman, I guess, who uh, is having visions of the Allfather. And that sets off a series of quests and a series of mythical experiences uh that set her on the path to hopefully stop ragnarok t how'd you feel about this one this book was intense and marginally difficult to consume (laughs) okay it was now i want to say that in the way that good art is sometimes hard to consume because it makes you feel stuff and that's okay and is a good thing um, the writing in this book is exceptional. I think it does an incredible job of putting the perspective on a young... I mean, she's a girl. She's 13. Um, she's, you know, filled with stories and, and the mythos of her land. And she, you know, from an outside perspective, we're seeing her effectively have seizures and potentially have just like blackouts where she doesn't know what's going on and it's fits. And in modern society, we would see these as clinical treatments and ways to fix it. But in her small perspective of the world, she is being addressed and chosen from a god. And it's really interesting the way that it's placed because there's this vagueness this ambiguity between is she actually seeing odin or is it she not because the world around her her mother 
and the information we're given from external sources about the time period and, like I said, the volcano and all of these things lead to implications that it's just circumstantial. But at the same time, what if it's not? Mm -hmm. What if she is actually being addressed and given a mission by the father himself? Like, I think that's really cool. I think the way that it's done and the fact that it's her perspective and we're seeing her visions and why she believes what she believes, I think that's fascinating. And I think it's a really well done book because if we were given more of an omniscient view or if we were told from the perspective of her mom or if we were told from the perspective of literally anyone else aside from her and seeing what she saw, so much of the messages book would be gone. Yeah, this um, this book immediately brought to mind two things for me. The first one being a video game called Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice, mm -hmm. uh, wherein you play as a young woman going on a quest within Norse mythology. Uh, and the debate of the game is, are these things truly happening or is this her coping with and dealing with her trauma and or schizophrenia? You know, is this mm -hmm. her interpretation of the world under the mythos that she knows and the lore that she knows, but in reality she's dealing, like, the voices in her head aren't actually, like, demons and darkness talking to her. It's just voices and things like that. Uh, it also brought to mind, last week we talked about Daisy, um, and I talked about how I like, you know, books that are willing to create new mythology. Yeah. You know, and this one does that. This yeah. feels very much like an epic poem, feels very much like a mythological story, like something you would hear in a book about Norse mythology, like right. Neil Gaiman's telling you about this person. Um, and I like that. I like that this is, it's not super wrapped around, like, this is a story that everyone already knows, like, hey, let's do a Greek mythology book and let's tell the story of, you know, Hercules and the lion. You know, it's it's not like a pre-established tale. Right. It's its own new thing that kind of fits. And creating something like that and making it work within the the realm of other tales that exist is impressive. And this did it. It is a very gruesome book. It's a gruesome yes. time period for people. It's not an easy time to live in. Uh, so it's not all uplifting stories of you know, heroism and hope. There's a lot of loss. Yeah. Uh, particularly in this time. And I think that's an important thing to juxtapose against this backdrop of Ragnarok, which is the loss of all things. Yeah. You know, the, the absolute end. And here we have people experiencing turmoil, experiencing, you know, a winter that won't end and the loss of food and a daughter who is having fits you know, and dealing with some sort of mental health problems uh, and or potentially, you know, being connected to the gods and yeah. that driving her into a berserker's rage. Um, and just having those two things on the backdrop, it's a real not with a bang, but with a whimper kind of thing. Yeah. You know, here we have people that feel as though they're experiencing the end of all things. But is it like the actual mythological like giant wolf gonna eat odin kind of thing or is it <laughs> you know just 
a really harsh winner. And at what point does the perspective of one person, you know, she at one point she reaches this village, like the Mead Hall, like the local place. And there's just dead people in the streets. Like to them, that's the end of the world. Like to those dead people, Ragnarok has happened. Yeah. You know, so it's like this really interesting. You have this backdrop of Ragnarok, which is this big. I mean, first of all, Ragnarok has an epic name and it's just this <laughs> big, you know, the fight between the gods and Loki comes back and brings this army with him and he's there's giants and there's wolves and there's serpents and everything's crazy and Thor's going to die and Odin's going to die and you know you have this big backdrop of it but then you have a more personal individual look at what the end of the world might be like yeah it's like you know, this myopic if my view. if my world ends isn't that Ragnarok yeah you know why does you know, my world doesn't extend beyond that. It's over. I died because it was too cold, you know? And I mean, it's, it's, I love the perspective of putting it into a time period where they have such limited viewpoints on their world. You know, they don't see beyond the land that they can traverse. So they have no context for what's happening to them. So that's why it's so easy to believe in this you know, grandiose mythos that's controlling their world because to them, they barely know anything beyond their next door neighbor. So mm. of course to them, oh yeah, this is the world ending because they don't even know what the world looks like. Yeah. They have no concept of how big it is or how it affects anyone else. And I think the characters in this are given a very unique perspective because a lot of, uh, a lot of these kind of stories, you have people, they're told from the perspective of people that just freely believe whatever you know yes i i believe in odin i'm an odinite <laughs> you know i've got a odin says relax t-shirt underneath my tunic <laughs> you know like i'm all in on odin i put the in in odin um <laughs> but these these folks do not they their patron god is a different god yeah not odin they don't really like they know he's all father or whatever, and they respect him, but they don't really like go to Odin mass. Uh, you know, they're not they're not eating the Odin croutons, you know. <laughs> well, and even the mother says that she comes from an entirely different area. Yeah, I was gonna follow that up and say, you know, the mom married into her, so the main character's mother married into the family, and her people her tribe don't even prescribe to the norse gods yeah so her perspective that she tries to pass on to the daughter and i think it's a very unique interesting perspective is she's seen firsthand this kind of cultural shift that we see throughout history of like you know a larger power coming in and kind of adopting traditions and gods and stuff and then making people that believe something different kind of fit in right she's seen that happen firsthand in a more passive kind of way it doesn't seem like she was like kidnapped she's not like a slave she's yeah. just married to somebody who believes different and was like you're gonna believe what i believe and she was like fine but that's given her this kind of agnostic perspective of like what if these things aren't like if my people believed in all these different gods, why did the Allfather not just come to us and be like, believe in me, you know? Yeah. So she's got this perspective of like, what if you're just having seizures? Yeah. What if you're just having fits and spells? You know, what if there's not actually visions? What if that's just you interpreting what's happening to you? And it's a really interesting perspective to have from somebody who's literally knee deep in it. Yeah. 
that isn't like you know you know we know these things happen in history of like cultures consuming other cultures and like taking in other cultures but we rarely get a character that's living it yeah and it's realistic to think that at some point when your little tribe gets kind of peacefully consumed by another tribe that has very specific gods and beliefs that you would take on their gods and beliefs but not not everybody would just freely drink the kool-aid and say you know yeah okay odin cool you know my patron god was a god of grass but odin sure you know at some point there would be people that are like what if we made all this up and to have the awareness to be like maybe these are all sort of the same thing but they're all just ways to explain the world around us Mm -hmm. so that we don't get upset and feel isolated and and like there's nothing out there looking looking out for us and you know it's 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 just cool because so often these like ancient peoples are treated as just like mindless followers yeah treated as just like you know they they aren't us so they're dumber first of all look at us (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying we got people believing anything Twitter accounts say. I'm like, look at us. <laughs> um, <laughs> second of all, it's you know, it's reasonable to believe that in whether you're talking about Greek society or Roman society or you know Norse society or even indigenous societies, and you know all these different groups that had these different spiritualities would look at them the same way people look at Christianity. People will be raised Christian and then say, maybe not. Yeah. Or start to believe something different. They'll hear something different and say, I believe this more. That makes more sense you know, to me. And, or they'll experience some trauma and feel abandoned by the religion and say, no, they, they're not out there. So it's reasonable to expect that there would be Norse people you know, be people that were raised into this Norse mythology, this Norse religion that would say Odin doesn't exist. Where was Odin when my two sons were killed by wolves? Yeah. You know, and it's cool to see that. Like I said, it's just usually you see these types of stories set in like Greek or Norse or Roman mythologies that are just like people that are like gung ho. Like, yes, I worship Zeus. Tell me more about Zeus. So it's nice to have kind of a more agnostic perspective on this. Yeah. Something that's a little bit more open to interpretation. And it helps that, you know, concept that you mentioned of like, is she actually getting visions? Is she just interpreting that? That kind of injects that thought into the reader. Right. Automatically, where it's like, we don't know who to trust. This is an unreliable narrator. Yeah. You know, so it's cool. Uh, Next up. Uh, we have a book coming out of Dark Horse. It is called Cloaked Number One. This was written by Mike Richardson uh, with art by Jordi Armengol. Uh, this book is another... Honestly, it's another what if Batman were bleh kind of book. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had a few of those happening lately. We talked about one uh, from AWA a few weeks back. Uh, but this one features a more realistic world. They recognize the concept of superheroes and treat it as if it were some sort of like fictional thing. Right. You know, there's some character dialogue that instills the idea that the concept and idea of superheroes exists. 
but they don't, the superheroes themselves don't exist. One day, randomly, in this super normal, realistic town, a vigilante shows up. He's driving a fancy car, he's dressed fully in black, he's got a cowl on, uh, and he's just shooting dudes, just, just killing criminals and doing police work for them. He eventually, at some point, gets a young ward that he takes into his charge. Uh, and then he disappears. Completely. Flash forward to 15 years later, we follow a down-on-his-luck kind of scumbaggy private eye, ex-cop private eye, ex-detective, I think, who gets hired by a one of the wealthiest men in the world, a real fat Bezos type, uh, <laughs> to find out who this man was the rich man says he saved me once and so i just really want to his the anniversary of his disappearance is coming up i really want to be able to give him a call out of who he is and let him be known and let his legend be known uh the guy's wary about it because he's like you know people have tried for 15 years what makes you think i'm gonna do it uh but the money's good enough so he decides to go out and do it uh, and what he may uncover in the process is that this guy wasn't all he was cracked up to be in the legends. T, what do you think? I appreciate the very direct Batman-y references. <laughs> I appreciate the more realistic depiction of it. I mean, this guy comes into a bank robbery with guns blazing and just heckin' mercs, folks. So, I respect that there's more of a realism to this tale. I am... I think what I'm most curious about with this book is that I feel like I've already predicted the whole book through this first issue. I feel like I know exactly what's going to happen from start to finish. And I'm interested to see if I'm right. <laughs> The way they set it up, which in and of itself has me curious, because the way they set it up, it makes me feel like they want me to think I have the whole book predicted and who the 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 vigilante was and what is going to happen to our private eye and the end of the intention and the blah, 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 all of that. Like, I can't tell if I successfully predicted the whole book. Or if I have been led to believe I've successfully predicted the whole book, just to mm. have something go, ha ha, you were, you're wrong. You thought you knew, but you didn't know. And I think that's what's really holding me on yeah. for this book is, did I just predict everything? Is it going to be very like, oh, yep, that, that was obvious. I knew this was what we were getting at and I'm fine with that. And okay, this was, this was what it was. Or is it going to be like, surprise, we threw in a twist that you didn't see coming. And that's what I really want. But either way, I feel like I'm going to read it because I want to know if I'm right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that's not typically something that drives me from a comic reader perspective. I'm not usually into this, into a book because I want to see if I've predicted the whole dang thing. So <laughs> I'm kind of cool with it. I think, you know, you set me up into such a specific situation that I'm like, you know... I want to know. <laughs> You've held me. You've held my attention. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It, yeah, you know, it. like I said, it's another 
kind of alternative Batman story. To be fair. And there's a lot of those out there. But I think this one could be cool. I, you know, the first issue focuses mainly on the young ward and the private eye interviewing him and finding out his story. And it just seems like there's a lot of mystery behind this guy. And I, I think it could be, it's a short miniseries. I think it's only a four-parter. Okay. Um, So, you know, you'll see the resolution of the story pretty quick. But it, it seems like it's going to be fun. I think there's some cool things that could shake out. Uh, I agree with T. It does feel kind of easy to predict how it's going to go, but maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to feel that way and it's all just red herrings. Yeah, that's, you know? that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> um, and it's really going to shake up in the end. Uh, and in general, I mean, just on more of a superficial thing, as far as alternate Batmans go, I really like the design of this character. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a cool character design. It's a cool car design. Uh, it's not just like, hey, let's make Batman, but take the ears off and add something else, uh, which we've seen in the past. So uh, I like this one. I mean, I'm excited to see where this one goes. Uh, and it's nice that it's just like a short little I, I respect Dark Horse for that in that they just do these short little bits. Yeah. Short little bites. It's true. You know, it's like, you know, it's going to wrap up. Yeah. And then you can move on. Uh, and I think, honestly, in the grand scheme of comics, we need more of that. I agree. So, uh, worth checking out. Check out uh, Cloaked. <laughs> Finally, we're talking about Third Wave 99, number one. It's coming out of Scout. It is written by Scout's president, James Hake III, uh, with art by Louis XIII, who I'm being told is the original logo designer for Third Wave 99. Anyway, for those who don't know what Third Wave 99 is, like myself, it was apparently a Florida-based surf brand from oh. the 90s oh. uh, that also ran like a support group for surf people or people interested in surfing where they used surfing and surfing meetups to help people channel negative emotions and negative energies, uh, whether it be from addiction or anger issues or trauma, whatever. Uh, it was apparently really popular and had like a cult following in the 90s. Hmm. I was too young in the 90s and too living in Indiana to know that, <laughs> I guess. So looking up information about it, I tried to dig deeper to find like the real history of Third Wave 99. And all I got were Wikipedia articles about like the third wave of coffee and third wave feminism. So I don't know. Uh, maybe people more familiar with it can tell me how much of the story that happens in this book was known to John Q. Public. But uh, we follow mainly two gentlemen. One man is the owner and kind of main proprietor of Third Wave 99. The other gentleman is a youngster uh, who has a really promising possible baseball career ahead of him but keeps getting in his own way with various anger issues and getting into fights and things like that they are in florida and there's a surf brand <laughs> called third wave 99 and then some crime shit happens <laughs> in the realm of summaries i that's some that's my magnum opus <laughs> This is my Mozart level 
uh, summary. T, how'd you feel, dude? <laughs> well, dude. Was it righteous? It was gnarly. <laughs> um, so this book's kind of bananas because mm-hmm. it's kind of all over the place. Um, I I like the use of character development. I like the introduction of the characters. I like how it kind of goes from one perspective to another perspective to another perspective to a random last few pages that I didn't expect to happen. My minor issue with the book is that the writing isn't always right there. Um, I struggle when you're trying to give me exposition and dialogue. Stop doing that. I don't Mm. need it. Stop doing it. Writers, stop doing it. It is a little bit. There's literally lines that are like, good thing we own this big surf shop that's the most popular surf shop in this side of Florida. And it's like, shut up. No one says that. I'm aware. There's as, like, as the person you're talking to who also owns this surf shop with you, I'm aware that we own the surf shop. You don't have to tell me. Yeah. And there's like a conversation between our the main character and like a... like an agent like a officer and it's like yeah it kind of gives you the like stinky face yeah like come on your dialogue could be better but i like the current existence of the plot i think it's cool i like the characters that have been introduced i like that it kind of went sideways in a really random direction it does have a little bit of a like a, a, a reckless Brubaker feel mm-hmm. to some extent. Like, there's some of those elements that I like and I, I'm here for and I'm interested. I just am hoping that once we get through issue one and into issue two, we will not have these weird exposition dialogue conversations anymore. Yeah. No more. So, <laughs> I liked the neo-noir vibe of this. I liked the color and the setting. You know, it felt very Miami in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, it... it pinks and light blues and stuff as far as the eye can see uh you know it it has a good grand theft auto vice city kind of yeah it does um that said i think this book is hurting for some levity like it's hurting for some comedy i I think it would be much better presented as like a dark crime comedy you know like really just go all in on kind of the absurdity of us doing a mob crime book around surfers <laughs> you know turn it into a channing tatum vehicle you know what i mean like i mean the second page started to feel like baywatch and i was like what is happening yeah <laughs> it, uh, you know it very well knows that it's a story set in the 90s and it approaches it that way and it's a cool story like i like the characters i like the presentation of the characters i like the concept of the third wave 99 support group apparently it's a real thing so it's like grounded in reality i don't know how much of it is real real who knows uh scouts claiming that they're telling the dark history of third wave 99 they even went as far as to buy the third wave brand and restart it so they're putting out new third wave stuff so they're putting a lot of effort into this jeez uh a lot of eggs in a basket and who knows maybe it's all legit and it's real but otherwise it's just kind of a cool crime noir story set in an area that you don't often see beachy florida beachy florida 
with Florida mans running everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but it's cool. I, I like it. Like I said, I like how Florida 90s it feels. I like the characters and I like, you know, kind of the direction their stories seem to be taking. Yeah. Uh, I think this is another short one. I think it's only supposed to be like four issues. So another kind of pretty self-contained one. But it's cool. It's cool enough to warrant us talking about it and me suggesting that you pick it up. I do, like I said, think it could use a little bit more comedy to it. I think that would really bring it alive a bit more. It's a little bit it's a little bit clinical. It's a little it's like, dry. This happens. And yeah. then anyway, I'm here now. And then anyway, I'm gonna go do this. And then this happens. Here, I my- have a suggestion. Replace any time you're gonna speak exposition with a joke. <laughs> <laughs> But then the book would be only jokes. (laughs) Anyway, I recommend it. Go pick it up. Yes. It's a cool thing about Scout books is that they, like, a lot of them come on those, like, really thick cardstock covers, too. So it's a nice little thicky, thick book to have. So uh, go check it out. Yeah. Third wave. That's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, if you want more Cover B, you can find it on our website at CoverBeePodcast.com. And if you are interested in following us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoverBeePodcast. I hope everybody has a good weekend. Go out there and do something nice for somebody. Call somebody that you haven't called in a while. Just, Maybe do something festive. Yeah. Just be good to one another. And as always, uh, you have been listening to Cover B. I have been Chris. This has been T, and we will catch you back here for another episode. Bye!